Welcome to the boat, everybody. I'm Ryan. I'm Wally. And I'm Grant. And this is a podcast where we go through a tournament-style bracket to decide which movie out of the 10 favorite movies of all three of us, plus some extras, ends up being the best of all time movie. Woo! Yeah! Um, today on the podcast, we will be discussing two very different movies. Oh, yes. 12 Angry Men and Twister. They're so angry. They're so Twister's angry. Twister's also pretty angry, the too. Twister is also pretty angry and um, has enough guttural responses that it, it is on par with 12 Angry Men. But yeah, Absolutely. I think first, first we're going to get into 12 Angry Men. All right. So 12 Angry Men is a courtroom drama from 1957 starring Henry Fonda, Lee J. Cobb, and 10 other dudes who range from moderately annoyed to fuming mad. The plot sees 12 jurors of various backgrounds and temperaments delivering the fate of an 18-year-old man accused of first-degree murder. What on the surface level seems like an open and shut case begins to unravel as juror eight, who sees multiple instances of reasonable doubt, cannot in good conscience vote uh, the defendant guilty. So the film was based on a teleplay from 1954. It got a forgotten TV remake in 1997, costed over uh, $300,000 at the time, which adjusted for inflation would be $3 million by today's standards, so still a pretty cheaply made film, is number 87 on the AFI Top 100 Films and still remains a critical and cultural touchstone of American cinema. So guys, what did you think of 12 Angry Men? I mean, uh, you forgot to mention Sidney, Sidney Lamette directed this i mean uh, a very award-winning uh acclaimed uh director um what else did he do i can't tell you off the top of my head <laughs> <laughs> well he's important damn it. Awards. i know he's well i sorry i did not research him as well but i've seen him on a number of movies that i can't think of right now that i watched from the time um but yeah like a, a, a very good director um a very good cast very very enjoyable movie that I haven't actually seen. You didn't. You didn't watch it. What? No. He did. He watched the oh, nineteen ninety seven remake. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it before this either. And it, this this movie, um, you know, one of the the things I'm about to do that that whole Bo Burnham thing where you point out something negative about yourself in order to make it okay, but just being self aware of it doesn't actually make it okay. Anyways, like <laughs> I know I have a tendency to be the contrarian in the room because I like feeling cleverer than anybody else who's there, and um, I also have that hipster streak in me that dislikes things that are inherently popular. Like I have to admit, like we, you know, I, I was really bad about that in high school with music. I've sort of gotten over it a little bit, but I still like, I like to be the one who likes the nice weird stuff. And so I think I came into this movie, a movie about confronting self prejudices and things like that. Um, being, trying to be ready to poke holes in it and dunk on it because it's, you know, you, you mentioned widely acclaimed and it is, this move is, movies one of the highest rated on rotten tomatoes uh, of all time yeah, which isn't a great sure. metric but it just um i came in ready to rip it to pieces and left with it being the most affecting film i've watched of any of the ones on the list so far i don't right? know if yeah. i would say it's the best of too. all time or my favorite but if there is one movie on this list that people watch coming out of it please watch this movie there you go yeah I, yeah definitely agree 
I mean, yeah, there's a reason why it is like critically acclaimed, whether or not that actually matters mm -hmm. in, in this bracket. Yeah, it's up for debate. But yeah, it is. I mean, I was just blown away with just how crisp and clean this looks. And I know I mentioned this earlier on the group chat is just like shooting this on film and like they nailed their focal points and all that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. Just and like everything looked like it was shot today and just phenomenal right. detail and like like even though it was black and white you're i'm picking out like the different styles of the suits the different like material stuff on the costume there was a lot a lot i enjoyed of just like the costuming of it and could see everyone's pores by the time everyone yeah. gets super sweaty in this movie super sweaty it's yeah it's it's almost claustrophobic which is kind of the point of it is that yeah definitely by the end you get like all these close-in shots of every single person and going into this movie for this rewatch, what I was kind of worried about with our last black and white film that we mentioned, um, His Girl Friday, Ryan made a really good point about it feeling like it would be better as a stage play. And this just having really just one set, I was kind of worried that was going to be the same thing here. Well, I do think this would definitely work as a great stage play. I think the different camera angles, just, just really downtime that you get um, between the characters like this movie's kind of broken up into acts where like they're like okay we're arguing too much let's just take five guys those are some of my favorite things and I think those scenes really benefit from being a movie rather than a stage play yeah you can get right up close and intimate with with each actor so like the emotional journeys they each go through even within like a couple of seconds like you just you can see that really I, I feel like it would be hard to really demonstrate the gravity of the situations and just the the pivotal changes that are made in a stage play just because you can't you can't if you're up in the balcony you couldn't see you know the emotional change as much or it might be played a little bit too big so that those audience members could see it in a stage play um and and it might it might ruin the effect for everybody I, I think I think film for this movie is really is really a good choice. Oh. Yeah, it's really crucial. And then just to go back to, you know, you were just saying this is such a culturally important uh, movie. Like, you know, that's all I knew about this movie the first time I watched it. And I actually watched it at a time in my life where I was watching a lot of what were considered the best movies of all time. I was I was an art student. I was in art school. I'm like, I just want to absorb more art. Let me see some good movies that I hadn't seen before. So around the time I first watched this, I was watching stuff like No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, you know, other films that could definitely fit on a best of all time kind of list. But it was this movie that really stuck out in my mind. And I, what I'm going to say next, I do feel is really played out, but just the way everything's deliberated in here, everyone coming to term with their prejudices and everything you see, even what 60, almost 70 years later, not much doesn't change. There's still, that's still part of the human condition. You know, this is still very, very much like a relevant film in that manner. And not, I mean, not only is it, you know, relevant for that matter, but like it, it is also very entertaining film like just the moments we get to um spend with especially um some of the funnier characters like juror number seven the guy with, who's always wearing the hat who just really wants to go to the baseball game by the end he's the one character who really doesn't give a shit of if this guy is guilty or not guilty he just wants to go home 
he just wants to go home and go to his baseball game you know like to the point where he's just fucking around like throwing paper balls and then like hits the old guy and he's like that's a really stupid thing to do that was like the funniest thing to me uh it just shows the different like approaches that modern i mean i don't i don't think either of you have been called the jury duty i haven't either um but i I had but i wasn't called to go on the stand so i lucked out (laughs) not the stand but you weren't you were to be a part of the jury yeah in the jury you called for jury duty and surprise you're now a suspect yeah (laughs) you're a surprise witness what did you see i don't know man um but uh yeah i i think it just shows like so many levels to how people treat the american or the u.s justice system and how that will inherently cause flaws in the system is like you know prejudice leaks in and even just laziness leaks in to Mm -hmm. create the easiest verdict not necessarily the right verdict like it's and besides kind of the but this movie is like i agree that this movie warns of that but i think this is ultimately meant to be a triumph of the american justice system you know taking it setting aside whether or not our because we were all aware of the the massive flaws and insufficiencies and prejudices of of our our actual judicial system but in the context of the film exploring what the film says about the the u.s judicial system it seems here to be a triumph of it in in the end it was cooler heads that prevailed and reached uh what was ultimately the correct conclusion well i think it's a it's it's like a cautionary tale about like warning people to not bring in your own prejudice prejudices or at least not 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 actively engage in that like to or to consciously think about that when you enter into the judicial system yes i agree and i think that's an important important distinction is not don't bring in your prejudices it's be aware that you have them because you know people cannot set them aside it's be aware that you have them be prepared to confront them and then make sure you are following you know appropriate rational um, course of thought and discussion in order to reach a conclusion that you are comfortable and satisfied with. Um, one of yeah. the things that I loved about the film was even though it clearly um, has a be- uh, a belief or or something that it's working towards over whether or not the individual was guilty or not guilty, um, it does the juror number seven, Wally, that you mentioned, does jump on him for changing his vote to not guilty for the wrong reason it's clear that the the point of the film isn't you know we have to be finding these people innocent the point of the film is um make sure you are rationalizing and and drawing a conclusion that you can stand by rather than just going with the flow or, or jumping on what everyone else around you is deciding yes make your decision based on everything you've heard or everything you know not just because it's the easiest way out yeah and use your you know wording appropriately like henry fonda's character like at first or through the majority of the film never says oh i don't think he's not guilty yeah there's just like there's reasonable doubt that's the big thing in this you know that's what the judge says at the beginning like you guys have to you know come to a unanimous um agreement you know whether he's guilty or not see if there's any reasonable doubt and even you know there's just like so many details of like when the judge says that he's not saying it very serious like he looks kind of bored 
he's got his hand like on his head and everything. The judge just doesn't like... seem to care. Like he, he, a lot of the people in in this this movie seem to just not care for the majority of it. Like that judge seems to not give a shit either way. They either don't care or they're like, well, it's just plain as day that he's guilty, you know. And that's where the prejudice comes in. Yeah. For the most part. But yeah, I I think that was. I mean, that's something that I feel like was ingrained in me is just that that idea of innocent until proven guilty. And like they mentioned that once in this movie, but it's like a founding principle of our justice system. And yet you just see all of that just being corrupted the, or being like stepped on the entire movie until finally it does prevail. It's like you 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 need to be able to argue that they're in or that they're guilty not that they're innocent and nobody in this movie or yeah in this movie is able to argue that he is guilty definitively and yeah, yeah. and i think this movie is especially relevant now i we're saying that about all these maybe that's just a sign of good film is that it's always relevant to, mm -hmm. regardless of the era um, the but you know <laughs> very relevant I, to these times I have a lot of a lot of people in my life who are very into true crime. I think that's a very popular thing right now. And I think one yeah. of the dangers of the true crime and um, uh, some of the risks of cancel culture, though I think it can be used for good, um, but is is people uh, reversing that order of innocent until proven guilty. People are yep. guilty until they can prove that they're innocent. And, and this movie, you know, that is not a bias even that I realize I, I had even something as silly as the Tiger King documentary. People draw conclusions of, oh yeah, this lady is bad or, oh yeah, this guy definitely did this. When they're without... all just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we don't know. We don't know all the facts about these people's lives. It's just been dramatized and condensed into such a mm -hmm. small special or series that i think that's what you're trying to say grant is that like wally even you saying that oh they're all crazy is isn't accurate no well it, this movie was just a, a reminder to me you know having been in or exposed to a lot of true crime and stuff recently that i was making snap conclusions and judgments and then i carried it through you know whether it was the first episode through or the sixth episode mm -hmm. Pretty much whatever I decided by the first one, that was still the same conclusion I mm, had at the end, mm -hmm. and and that was not something that I was aware of about myself, and something that this movie helped draw out, uh, which is one of the reasons that, like I said, most affecting movie I've seen in the list. That is a phenomenal point, Grant, because I feel like so many people nowadays, like myself included, are like, like they they treat these true crime shows or like really any kind of show that has some sort of mystery as a matter of okay i'm gonna figure it out faster than anybody else like i'm gonna figure out the yeah. right answer and so makes they fun <laughs> yeah exactly it, it makes it enjoyable it makes it interesting it makes it more engaging but it's so bad because ultimately even if maybe you picked the you you found the right answer you you didn't find the right answer probably for the right reasons or with the right mm -hmm. information well, and I love that this movie doesn't try to find the right answer. This is a whodunit where it doesn't matter who done it. The the point isn't yeah. they don't solve the murder at the end. And I loved that. What they determined was that the the one individual on trial, there was enough reasonable doubt that they could not condemn him to death. They didn't find him innocent. They didn't find someone else not, you know, they didn't find someone else guilty. They didn't solve this murder. They determined that there was not sufficient evidence or or reason to definitively prove 
that this boy killed another person and deserved to die. Um, and that is something, you know, I've watched tons of mystery uh, TV or movies. I used to read Hardy Boys a lot growing up. Um, Knives Out, I think, is one of my favorite mm, movies to come yeah. out in the last three or four years. And this had a lot of the elements of Knives Out um, or a lot of things I appreciate, appreciated about Knives Out where it was a variation on the mystery format that I'm familiar with. Normally you're trying to solve, you know, you're presented with a problem, you're given a couple of clues, you have to try and determine who did it at the end. Knives Out pulls a twist on the formula by, you know, giving you the perceived individual committing the crime right up front and that's the person you follow throughout the film. That's ultimately, you know, not to give spoilers, ultimately not the case, but it's a variation on the standard uh, mystery procedure. This movie is the same way. You're given your, your um, crime, you're given your clues, but in the end, you don't solve it because that's not the point. That's not what a courtroom is for. And that's what a lot of modern CSI and, and true mm, crime shows miss. Yeah. Is the point of the courtroom is not to solve the crime. The point of the courtroom is to determine the guilt of the individual who's on the stand. Um, and mm. I just powerful. And I think, yeah, to really go to that point, I think it's really poignant that you don't actually see the court case. So you wouldn't have your like natural biases that would go with that. You know, you're just presenting it through these, the different jurors, how they see it. Interesting. But you do see the kid. That was one of the yes. notes I made is. That's a good do, point. Do you think it would have been. Because that kid, I hate to say it, but he looked, he had like a sort of innocence to him. Like, he, yes, he looked like a scared child. Mm -hmm. And I almost wished seeing that I almost wished they would have left it out and kind of had it just be. Like I, I, cause I feel like you, you start rooting for this kid just from even that small flash that you see of him. And I love that, that deliberate attempt to not show anything to, to get the, I, the things you see that happen during the case through the eyes of the jurors, rather than through the audience's eyes, we are given the information by the jurors, not by what happened or you know the the people involved in what actually happened i think you made a phenomenally good point right like just from you seeing the kid and then the, one of the few musical cues going off at that point like you're like you're you're rooting for this kid you know you don't have all the information yet but there's just yeah like you said there's something about where he's an innocent and so i i'd love to explore that a little more does this film change for you guys if the death penalty was off the table? Say we're talking about life in prison. You know, this is still, that is a life-changing punishment. That is, you know, it, it's not the death penalty, but it's still, you know, that is um, going to uh, dramatically uh, change his life. Do the actions of the individuals in this movie, you think, change or the end result uh, that 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 they come to, does it change if the context of the punishment is different? Does it lessen the severity of the crime? Like, does that mean like like this isn't a murder case anymore? It's no, something that... the same crime. I mean, okay. there's there's tons then of I... murder cases that are tried without going straight to the death penalty. Yeah, I don't think. Any... I, I would say no. I it wouldn't change anything mm. for me. Um, but then it would it would affect how I feel like a lot. I feel like there would be less um motivation like i feel like a big motivation about this movie was do you want the blood of somebody who 
you have a doubt that they're guilty, like you were doubting that they're guilty, do you want their blood on your hands? I, I don't think you could have that much of an impact if it was like you wouldn't have the blood on your hands, even though you still would. You still would. Because oh, he would I, be sentenced to life in prison. But the the act of this this man will go to the electric chair as soon as the jury has resolved and given their verdict. I think that there's there's that's way more, more powerful. Sticking with the role of contrarian asshole, though, <laughs> oh, I don't I think that the, the, the blood on the hands isn't the, the point of the movie. Because remember, he it, it's not that if this person dies, it's on you. It is what is the weight of a human life worth? It, can you truly pass judgment on a human life in the span of a, a five-minute guilty, not guilty? His, the juror number eight's whole push is, we need to spend some time and talk about this. It's not, hey, you guys are going to feel bad if you kill this man. It, you know, it's on you. It's a human life is worth more than five minutes of your time. And they keep comparing the value of a human life to different things in those people's lives. Is a human life worth more than your baseball game tonight? Mm -hmm. Is it, it, It's not, I don't think, with the exception of the last juror they try and convince where he pecks on him for for being a, a sadist and trying to to um, be vengeful instead of being just um, the the leading argument of the film is what is the value of a human life relative to our time because i would almost argue the benefit of this or the the interesting part of this movie yeah, you're kind of right. They don't necessarily touch on how oh, God right now you got me thinking, um, which is yeah. good. But I, I almost don't think they bring like a human life into it as much as as they should. It's kind of the starting I think point. It's more about it's more about the 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 fact that there's enough there are enough things wrong with this case, or that was mistried that it doesn't they're looking for an answer that feels right not like it's almost by the end of the movie it's almost like you lose after they kind of confront him about having a like vendetta against seemingly this individual or the type of individual that uh this this person on trial like his background um that you see throughout the movie once they kind of really confront that in that really like heated moment i feel like then it just becomes a matter of what's right it's it's not about a life at all it's just about getting the answer that everybody that is satisfying i feel like there's only a couple of people that were really swayed by your you're sending an innocent or a potentially innocent man to death and more about are these do these facts line up like it's it's maybe i'm not making any sense um but I, I feel like the the we're spending more time thinking on this movie than, than it's a, the, yeah it's a thinking man <laughs> the facts like there the fact that there are inconsistencies or the fact that there is reasonable doubt like that is the crux of the movie it seems like is that it's it's yeah. it's just like. Uh, I feel if, <laughs> I don't if, know how to describe it, but it's like it's I, okay. I feel like in one hand it 
like, yes, they're holding the life of somebody in their hands in making this decision and making sure that it's the right one. But on the other hand, it really boils down to, is this something, is there just a truth or a, as much of a truth as you can get? Um, and then you need to make the decision based on that truth. There's enough reasonable doubt that the truth is obscured and that means that he's innocent. And that's like, I, you almost lose. And that's why kind of going back, why I wish they didn't show the kid is let's make this all about facts and like almost nameless individuals. But if you just like maybe saw the back of his head, that'd be enough. But once you make it only about facts, the, the, I I think it's important that you see the the kid's face. Not, yeah, not because I, I it's innocence or not to try and sway your opinion one way or another. It's because that I, people in a film like this, where so much of the focus is um, on the facts and wordplay and getting people to self-defeat in arguments, there, there is so much focused on the practical um, just discussion of it that you forget that they are arguing about this boy's life, whether or not this boy will live or die. And it's important to have that life. It's important that you confront the life that is at stake here right at the start. I think yeah. hearing hearing his backstory of how he was abused from childhood, he, he lived in a broken home, he had all these other problems. Like, I feel like they they give enough backstory to this character and you you can garner enough understand not sympathy but understanding of why he potentially could have done this that it it almost seemed it that's why that's kind of why showing the face showing that almost level of sympathy i get you want to i get that there is like you do kind of want to establish yes this is a human but you learn about his life in a way that you don't learn just by seeing his face through the details of his history that was given to the jury through the details that were, you know, demonstrated about the crime itself. But your face, the, the face is what gives you the empathy for the character. Just being told someone's background, I think is similar to hearing statistics. You know, you hear about large quantities of deaths after tragic accidents or things like that. And it's, it just becomes numbers. You forget that there are all people behind this. There's a reason this movie focuses so much on faces and hands. Mm-hmm. Think mm-hmm. in, in, in the, the, mm-hmm. the, the table of jurors, whenever something important happens, whenever they're having a personal revelation or a change of opinion, it's a close-up on their face. Whenever they're voting several times, it's a close-up on the hands. The, the, your people's faces and hands are what your brain inherently distinguishes you know that's why we talked about the uncanny valley last time that's why it happens we are so attuned to human faces and human hands we it's it's how we empathize and identify with another being if you just hear a background of oh it's a broken home i think it's going to come off as another number another sob story by giving a face to associate with the life it it forces you to develop that empathy right at the start that drives the intensity of the film because we're all fight we're all waiting not fighting to see this life saved we are on the edge of our seat watching to see what the outcome of this life the outcome for this life i a hundred percent agree with you grant just like it brings more of the humanity 
you know, to the film. And just another thing, you see the kid really sweaty at the beginning, and then you see everyone else, you know, sweat kind of going through their own thing of just seeing, you know, we see his strife going through, you know, the whole situation, just like within that shot of him. And um, yeah, it just, it's just the cinematic way to bring empathy uh, to the film. But why not put that at the end then? I I just think, I think potentially the film becomes, becomes leading in creating a, a potentially likable character and creating that empathy before you know anything about that. So then you immediately are looking for ways to build an argument that, you know, you, you've gained this empathy just by seeing this kid in a, in a, one of the worst states you could ever be in being potentially wrongfully convicted of murder. Um, and you, you understand the, the stakes at hand. I just, I think, I think it would be more interesting for me. And so maybe it will just end up being that we just disagree on this point to see this played out for people who have already seen him and getting that second hand from the people that will now judge his fate and then getting the like bring like building that empathy through the things you learn about his past and then getting that kind of connection finally at the end when it's realized that he they they've made the claim or made the decision that he is not guilty in their eyes or that there is reasonable doubt i think that would be interesting for me you lose a lot of the tension then the the this yeah. film is very intense it be because every it feels like any one of these arguments could tip people over and push this kid into the abyss um by by you having know, you will the, know that he's a kid like i it's not like you're losing the fact that this is an 18 year old kid who is he's potentially killed his father like you know all this stuff just by by seeing a face it is leading like I'd be in, I I should have done more research into the the what it was based off of that um, the yeah I I agree that it's and whether, but I why it, it why has to be we, why you because sh- that's what is the intensity of the film it if it be. doesn't lead you then then there's there's nothing there yeah there's no hook then like it's he's the but hook thing you will it's like, just people arguing get, about court facts yeah for you, you it's not like you'd never realize that he unless that point that he is a kid who throughout the film you learn could potentially be innocent you i i think you guys are putting so much weight on this this shot of this kid but negating all the stuff that is built like you just get a face and i think it's it's designed to be empathetic and so you're already leaning that way. But I think if you go back without seeing that, you will also have stakes. You will also have start to build that empathy for the kid and understand that he was given a bum rap. He was given a bad lawyer. He was basically just forced into a confession and not given like I, I think I think there's a lot more in their arguments than in that face. And so I think it detracts from from their arguments when you're going in with that i i i want to see the argument more fully by not having been influenced by the film i want to see the pure argument that will build that empathy rather than having the empathy forced upon me and then immediately having to hear about the arguments of why that empathy is justified but i think the interesting point is just 
the characters' reactions to seeing this innocent face. And I know we're saying, you know, the film was designed to for you to be empathetic to the kid at the beginning, but even people viewing, not everyone's going to view that as a necessarily like empathetic face. Like another thing, it just, then when they're debating, you can, it's, yeah, it's about everyone's different point of view. And going back to that opening scene, there's some jurors where the like, the really racist guy has like a cloth over his nose. Like he's not even looking at the kid anymore at this point. So what's interesting later is like, there are some of the jurors who didn't even like look at his face. Again, another big thing where a lot of reasonable doubt comes into it is the faces they see of the witnesses. Like the guy who is really about ration, just very rational and all about facts, like comes to the point of like, yeah, I finally looked at her face. Like she couldn't have seen that without her glasses. You know, so it, again, it just goes into the faces. I just think there's more layers to there. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, for most people, you're going to see that as an innocent face. But I think then you see how the different jurors saw that face, and that's what makes it interesting. But wouldn't it build an interesting tension if they're constantly remarking about what this kid looked like? And then at the end, you see this innocent face with this, this sense of relief washing over him when he's realized that he has been found not innocent or that there was reasonable enough doubt that he didn't do it i just yeah. find that way more compelling but that that changes the 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 context of the film because the whole point at the end is that none of these guys see the kid i i think when you argue when you put that the the fate the kid at the end and the relief washing over him now these men are heroes to this kid they're the heroes of the film and they make a point of you know this kid was nothing to us when we came in and he's nothing when we leave we yeah. all go back they don't even have names in That's this movie true. Ryan. that was another the, thing that really ticked me off is that at the very end the guy goes what's your name and yeah goes, i didn't like that was kind of schmaltzy I wanted, but i think it I really should have ended like grant made a point of like it's this kid means nothing to them at the end of them just going back their lives juror eight you know hands juror three his coat a guy he's been arguing with for like the last couple of hours like you know they should hate each other he's like we're, we're just back to schmoes you know at this point we're just going back to our normal lives i think it should have really ended there or just the shot over the table should have just I, ended there i loved but i like the walking going on their separate ways going to their different destinations but specifically that name like where he has yeah. to know his name really i think they did that last minute too they're like we need something at the end of this it, it does feel very last minute but like another cool thing like you say they're going about their ways as you see them going down the stairs the last shot like the guy that's in the background is juror number three the loudmouth guy in film kind of like by himself yeah yeah he's he's trying to come to terms with potentially his own bias but um, I, I don't know. I I just think I I think maybe it would just be a completely different movie. But I just I loved. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, it just feels like it would be more of a traditional kind of smaltzy movie. And I do agree with Grant. I think it would derail a lot of the points they make through the film. I don't know. That's just kind of how I see it. I love that there's so much to talk about this movie. I I feel like we could yeah, have done a, a, a whole podcast just on this one. <laughs> Well, I mean, there there is a reason why it's it's one of the 
the greatest like AFI top 100 movies of all time. Fucking yeah. Uh, I don't know how it took me so long to see this. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, even just like some of the like film aspects, like how they how they, you know, pan down the table and then they're reading the votes and it's like a zoom in and they're like actually flipping the votes and opening them up and like you see the the difference in handwriting among the different people. Yeah. Some are sloppy, nice some are details. Yeah. And just like, like at the end shot where you see where everyone else was doing it, like some point like the jurors didn't care. So people were just like doodling. The one like salesman guy is like trying to pitch like a cereal to the other the yeah, guy he, sitting next he, to him. He he was so like self-absorbed that he was talking about how he came up with the slogan for what sugar pops, I think is is the name of the the um cereal. Yeah, he's the like flip-flopper one too. He's yeah. like, I don't know, guilty. I don't know. Innocent. Yeah, he he did he he's an advertising agent so he's got to be shallow he's got to be focused solely on the outside of the box he never tells you how good the cereal is he just says guess what i designed this box look at how cool it looks Mm -hmm. um and so he's he he doesn't think about the substance of the case he just thinks about the case whoa Whoa. unprofessional unprofessional check my phone too (laughs) wasn't sure yeah, my mom told me to try and get Bill Paxton on the podcast. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> are you segway. I, here I, he is. Re- real quick, I, I think the, the last, because we didn't talk a whole heck of a lot about just like general cinematography and movie yeah. stuff because we were stuck on themes because the themes of this movie are so strong. Um, but but um, I do, it, it was fun to see this movie was pretty much presented to you as like a real time event. You know, there aren't a lot of cuts. You're there when they they walk into the room and when they leave. The movie is about an hour and a half, but in the context of the world, only about three hours or so passes. Um, And since it's all in one room, there aren't a whole lot of cuts. And so I really appreciated the use of the votes as sort of a way to show where we're at in the film and create those natural breathing points. But while they were breaks in the action, um, from as like a, a framing device, as a framing mechanism for the film, there were also some of the most intense portions of it. So the parts where you're supposed to have a chance to breathe deep and rest are actually the most intense moments of this film. And so you're just carried through sort of front to back. It, it, it's just a hundred miles an hour uh, with dialogue that doesn't reflect that speed. It has all the intensity of his girl Friday in the dialogue with um, much more clarity and precision, which I really appreciate it. That is a great point, Grant. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely stellar point. Um, no, I just, I, I, I think this, this film succeeds in a lot of ways. And I think, um, yeah, from a really solid story to very good, clean, basic visuals. Um, I, yeah, I I mean, incredibly well acted by a very diverse group of men. You know, granted they are all men, and um, but it's I I think you you get a breadth of different cultural experiences. Yeah, and um, everyone is their yeah own individual. I think my favorite was the guy who's clearly voiced by a piglet. I feel original voice of piglet was in this movie. Just the very meek guy who's just oh, like, really? oh, I just thought this was interesting. Yeah, like even he has yeah some points yeah. he's angry towards the end, but yeah, everyone stands out, you know, and they're just given numbers, but 
you know, due to the acting prowess of everyone, they everyone does stand out. Yeah, and I think that for me, that leans more into like why I would like to like. I think, I think at the end of the day, this movie doesn't feel like about. Oh, I won't even get back into it. Cause <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but no, I yeah, all of these actors just absolutely nailed their role. It just no question of like these these are the characters are coming to life very well. Um, but and also thank you for or not thank you screw you guys for not calling out the the cat cat meow um yeah i get my phone beeping is is obnoxious but also the he's not even in the room he's in the other room you're you're up against two cat people quinn we're biased Mm -hmm. yeah and you guys probably thrown it or can't hear it at this point but those notifications just white noise right wait the meowing is notification that's the cat equivalent of a notification (laughs) Wow. At this point, the cat is a guest. Your phone. Yeah, is Odie is the fourth. Yeah, member of boat. Come on. <laughs> His opinions are trash. <laughs> I stand by he that. Stays on the trash boat. He, all he does is complain about not having enough tuna in these movies, and um, I guess food in general. <laughs> he also never this likes anything that was made after 1985, which I think is like a pretty serious bias. The disrespect. Yeah, he's a curmudgeon. Like, he's he's a snob. He likes he the thinks- classics. Yeah, he 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 lives and dies by the AFI top 100 list. Mm-hmm. And uh, outside it's like of that, Twister, what is this shit? Yeah, what the Get hell? Out of here. God, you guys don't even understand Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> Rosebud, Rosebud. All right. Well, oh, yeah. you mentioned That's Twister, which I think is uh, an excellent transition to our uh, next bit. Wayne Knight or Wayne Knott? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's returning. Round number two of Wayne Knight or Wayne Knott. So I have a series of uh, early ni- late 80s, early 90s okay. movies here that uh, Wayne Knight may or me may not. I'm sorry, Wally. I was talking over you. Please, <laughs> please say no, you're joking. Brent, Wally was talking over you. You were going yeah. through your, your, uh, your uh, rules and regulations. And Wally just goes, I don't think I know much about that stuff. It's all good. <laughs> Nobody knows anything about Wayne Knight. He's a giant mystery. He is an enigma Thanks. wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in a, a uh, probably a McGriddle. Joker. All right. So uh, late 80s, early 90s movies, Wayne Knight. Uh, that was sort of when he really got his uh, kickoff. I've got three different films here. You got to tell me uh, Wayne Knight or Wayne Knott. Was he in it? Was this enigma in the almighty Top Gun? The almighty Top Gun? Wait, sorry, I was Wayne Knight <laughs> in Top Gun. Yeah, here nay. Wayne Knight or mm, Wayne Knight? Mm, I'm gonna say nay. I'm gonna say he was. It is Wayne Knott. Wayne oh. Knight was not in Top Gun. Oh. Don't worry, like don't kick yourself because some of these are ridiculous and oh. I would not expect at all. One one of my old acting teachers was in Top Gun. So no, that's cool. <laughs> I guess she's better Wayne than Knight? Wayne Knight. <laughs> Acting teachers, Ryan, you took acting classes? Fancy, yes, as a means of Fancy. trying to become a better director, and it did not help. Oh, that's all I right. Just couldn't reg- I couldn't memorize monologues. That's all I know. <laughs> more valid credentials and expertise for why you're allowed to have opinions on here. I still don't know why I'm allowed to, but um, all right. Wayne Knight or Wayne Knott part two was Wayne Knight in Dirty Dancing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't talk about Wayne Knight. So, so yes is Wayne Knight, right? Wayne Knott. 
Yeah. Uh, while you're saying Wayne Knight? I'm saying Wayne Knight locked in. Wally's got it again. Oh, hell yes, yeah. Wayne Knight was in Top Gun. Ryan, you were 0 for 2 tonight. Rough I'm, day on the I'm Wayne sensing, Knight I'm sensing a pattern. <laughs> well, I, may, I had to mix up my pattern from last time because I figured if I did the same order as I did last time, you guys would know. All right, uh, last movie, Wayne Knight or Wayne Knott, Basic Instinct. Wayne. Wayne Knott. Wayne Knight. Ryan's got it this time. Oh, Wayne, Knight. Wayne Knight was in Basic Instinct. <laughs> I do not Ridiculous. remember him in that movie. Holy this shit. This man's cinematic background is fucking wild. Cartoons, movies, he's just all over the place. No one's got a beat on him. National treasure. Uh, it's yeah, beautiful. He is a it. national treasure. That's absolutely right. He is a god among men. Um, that w- is that is that the end of the segment, Grant? That's the end of this segment. Just Woo! just three questions. We'll see if I I don't know if I can have any other good themes for Wayne Knight. <laughs> Wayne not. I may have to come up with some other games unrelated to him. But uh... we should just have him screaming. <laughs> like it's like an intro to that. It's just him screaming at the end of Jurassic Park. <laughs> you got to get him on your soundboard. <laughs> yeah, just the... <laughs> yes. But yes, let's. What a great segue into <laughs> we not talking about Twister. But now, all right. Now that we so, talked about our, well, now that we've been knighted, um, let's let's move ooh, on. Oh, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> very nice. All right. So, uh, Twister was a movie came out in 1996 uh, that follows Bill and Joe Harding. Uh, storm chasers on the brink of divorce who must join together to create an advanced weather alert system by putting themselves in the path of extremely dangerous tornadoes um, directed by uh, Jan DeBont uh, with writers uh, Michael Crichton and Anne-Marie Martin um, starred by Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton and uh, Carrie Elwes. Uh, big cast though I mean other names uh, from around that time we had like Philip Seymour Hoffman was in it uh, Jamie Gertz, uh, Lois Smith. It was a, uh, a decent cast for the time. Um, uh, came out right around the start of the sort of disaster movie, early kaiju era in the United States with the, <laughs> the, the sort of resurface of Godzilla um, around that same time, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and this movie shares a lot of DNA with monster films, despite being a, uh, a disaster flick, quote unquote. Um, the film really puts a lot of character on the tornadoes uh, through its use of sound effects and narrative framing to make them uh, feel like things to be battled, things to fight against. Um, this is my wife's favorite movie, mm. uh, one that I've actually got to see in theaters. Um, which was a, a pretty fantastic experience. Um, yeah, we saw it uh, during uh, 2020 when they would rent out a whole theater to you for like 40 bucks and show an old movie. So I took my wife out to see it there. Um, it's a, a movie close to me and uh, one that despite having seen it now, probably close to 10 or 12 times, um, I still think holds up on rewatches. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree. Yeah, this has got the kaiju uh, DNA in it. Uh, fun fact, John DeBont was at one point going to direct the film that would become the 1998 Godzilla film with Matthew Broderick. Uh-huh. He's a big, yeah, was a big Godzilla fan. The whole thing of like, you know, Godzilla being a natural disaster, you definitely see that. Well, I mean, obviously in Twister, like it would have been fun to see his take 
on Godzilla for sure. The reason like, they got rid of him was because he kept trying to pe- pitch shoving a thing called Dorothy up Godzilla's ass to try and get mm-hmm. readings on its uh, seismic activity. How else are we going to find him? Yeah. Push the balls up there. <laughs> balls and uh, tin cans or aluminum cans. Uh, yeah, eventually they would go with uh, tacos. That's how they would lure Godzilla. <laughs> you guys remember that in the Taco Bell ads from 1998 with the Chihuahua? Definitely. Classic. Classic. Now, uh, the other big name, you know, as, as pointing out names, uh, special effects team for the movie, Industrial Lights and Magic, who show up fucking all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're also the the uh, team for this movie, a movie that I think largely lives or dies by its special effects. Um, and its its strongest scenes are typically ones where the special effects play through really well, and some of its weakest are normally when the, the special effects don't line up nearly as great. There's definitely moments of CGI here, um, you know, that just suffer from being in the 90s. Um, but the amount of practical effects in the film is also truly astounding. Uh, yeah, you know, they, sure. they simulated wind using a 707, Boeing 707 engine that they strapped on a 40-yard truck. They That's had 300-pound blocks of ice filled with ice and milk that they would chip off and throw into this jet in order to make hail. They had wow. giant yeah. just buckets uh, or like big crates of debris and like lightened rubber objects to throw in the front of this jet engine to simulate the debris hitting the cars and everything while people were driving. Uh, the amount of practical effects if if you enjoy the film watch the making of because the amount of practical effects in this uh was very very impressive you know reminiscent of jurassic park and um, a lot of the other uh, mid-90s films we have on the list yeah for sure like just so many yeah amazing practical effects thing like grant do you know if them driving through the house towards the end was that practically done because that looked amazing that so the house rolling into the street was CGI, but then that the car driving through the house was all practical effects. Yeah, and and it was it was one long take too. They built this huge sort of like half arc ramp that they put a bunch of cameras in with walls and dividers in between, and then drove the truck along this sort of arc to uh, film that shot. Yeah, I. The one, the final shot of the film where it's that aerial shot of like them standing at like the end of where this tornado had gone through or twister had gone through, and you see like, and I it it almost looked practical where it was like you could see like even if like the grass wasn't completely torn up, it was clearly windswept in a very long pattern um, that I assume went to CGI that and that's part of it they actually because they didn't use green screen for a lot of the film or the blue screen at Mm. the time yeah a lot of that special effect was actually rotoscoped after the movie onto the film itself oh that's Um, badass along with this movie (laughs) having to uh push industrial lights and magic to develop a whole lot of um particle effect simulations because that really wasn't a part of the cgi repertoire at the time so gotcha. the software that they developed to do the particle effects for the tornadoes is that, you know, tore apart buildings piece by piece and, you know, blew debris around um, would later be used in a lot of films, but was pioneered on Twister. Wow. Was it after effects? Probably not. <laughs> I don't think it was after effects. <laughs> it was actually, I, it was the earliest version of iMovie, Wally. 
But Quinn, Amazing. you mentioned the aerial shots. I I think that is uh, one of the, one of the other impressive just uh, cinematography aspects of it. Uh, a lot of aerial shots of these vehicles driving because these people are storm chasers the vehicles have as much character and life as the individuals in it um, but the very opening shot of the movie is a long very high up like helicopter aerial view that drives right up next to a truck and then basically puts you in the truck it was like a 1917 moment almost where it was such a smooth transition and you get so close i i genuinely don't know how if it was a helicopter or or crane or how they made it but it's probably a crane on a truck and it just drove evenly with it but yeah grant you're absolutely right i mean like i loved all the convoy shots like that was that was such a huge part is like you're you're becoming part of this culture of storm chasers where a little they're a little baddie but you know their vehicles yeah are very very caricature-ish like they're very they have their own style and their own character and then you get the the knob sellouts who are just all the same van (laughs) yeah well john debont he also when he was casting he deliberately wanted people who weren't that famous to be in the movie for most of the roles he wanted them to look like normal people like folks who had been spending their whole life you know studying tornadoes he deliberately didn't go with a star-studded cast because he wanted to add the realism yeah, I mean, um, one quick note. Um, do you guys know who Patrick Fischler is? I think I pronounced that right. He's, no, he's no. he was in Lost, and he makes like the tiniest of cameos as part of that like storm chase, like the professional storm chaser crew, uh, in the diner. And um, I I was just like pumped because I, I think that dude is a very good. He he's kind of I wouldn't say a bit actor, but more of a caricature as caricature or character actor. And I. <laughs> If if I showed you guys a picture of him, you would you would recognize immediately gotcha. who that is. But he was almost hard to pin down as like, what has he been in that I've seen? And he's been in a lot of different stuff that I've seen, but I know Lost was kind of one of his big roles. Um he the guy who's like Carrie Ellis's buddy, like his driver through the film, and then gets impaled when it should no. have been the dick Jonas getting impaled. Yeah, how but wild then, is that? Like... <laughs> but then Jonas blows up in a fiery ball of death. So I mean it really is worse. But I I felt so bad been impaled that and driver. yeah, that guy was nice. Yeah. I feel that guy was another bit actor that I've seen in other stuff too. There was a lot of actors in in this movie. It's like, oh I seen this person in another movie and was i'm curious was this like philip seymour hoffman's one of his first movies because like it's really weird seeing him play like the comedic relief character. dusty and a yeah. manly handshake ensues oh he's the that best character would not be in the movie now <laughs> like he's he's a little rapey he's a little molesty what? let's keep oh no but when he talks about the stuff, when he talks about the zone into this woman, that woman is just mad. That but, woman is so down for it. Like she is like, yes, tell give me, me the suck zone dust. Tell me about the <laughs> suck zone dust. I think the way they pitch it, he's I I don't know. May, you know what? That may what be it? my own bias coming into it. I didn't see it as rapey. I saw it as a weird nerd sharing something yeah. he was excited about. I want a dusty suck zone. I. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds horrible, but um. No, oh, so I, was the like fiance supposed to be like I don't know her character like I feel were they trying to make like she's unlikable because I didn't get that at all I was really confused by like she's just the most like she's the obvious the obvious 
She's a Ryan surrogate like character. She, yeah, she is. She is the person that cannot understand these crazy people who are driving <laughs> into storms. It's like it doesn't like. Yeah, she is the audience surrogate in a way until she disappears, and then you start to feel like, no, I'm one of the crew now. It's yeah. Like, you can devote Things yourself solely to this. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel bad for her because she is nothing oh. but supportive through the whole thing. Yeah. And, and like, you know, she just, she tries to establish a couple boundaries, but she's never like, like bitchy about it. It's yeah, like, she's not hey, a nice these are the one. rules. Like, you know, uh, understand. Please don't cheat on me with this person you're in love with. <laughs> it should be obvious. <laughs> Please don't let her yeah. walk all over you. Like she just always does. And she seems to purposely do when she like, doesn't sign stuff. And it's yeah. Well, I, I do love the <laughs> the family dynamic they create with the people where, sure, Joe walks all over um, Bill Paxton's character, Bill. but then they're, they're quote-unquote <laughs> kids. To remember, his name is Bill. Bill is Bill. <laughs> but but they're, they're kids. The other people in the convoy then walk all over Joe. You know, I, I on this watch through, I, something I hadn't picked up before was, you know, when she was like, took his truck and he's like no there's no way you're taking the truck and then hard cuts to her driving the truck and they're going down the road and then she's like no there's no way we're gonna go see my aunt and they're all like yeah food <laughs> food the kids and need to eat and they're at, at kids aunt need to feast <laughs> dusty wants suck <laughs> jesus we crave sustenance. dusty wants suck meat the dusty suck zone does sound like an awesome drink for a bar to make. If no, if I ever have a bar, horrible blowjob, Grant. Do not try. I mean, it's that would just be using a vacuum cleaner, right? Wally, yes, that's a, a dust buster. <laughs> but Wally, that does. I compared to some of the drinks we had when we were in Madison doing the bar crawl. I can totally see dusty the dusty suck zone in there. It's just like it's the like, one thing this movie's remembered. Uh, it's like rum chata and like I don't know, just a little bit of dust from the bar. Like no cocoa powder on the top. Oh yeah, yeah. like oh. like yeah. rum chata, maybe some like like whipped cream, some uh, Kahlua, and then a little cocoa powder Sounds on top. Delicious. You got yourself then, a dusty suck zone. And then like a plastic cow. Yes. yes like a marshmallow cow, yeah. like a tiny little plant oh yeah you could get oh that's what they should make is like you could cow colored cow colored mini marshmallows like a black and white mini marshmallow would be adorable uh are we, we starting a bar let's yeah. see we started this podcast just fucking let's um, do it part of the bar will just be that we're podcasting throughout like we're just talking <laughs> And then we just have random bar attendants on the podcast. I yeah, that would be <laughs> relatively interesting. All because of the dusty sex zone. <laughs> no, but I yeah. This um <laughs> so I've just I feel like I've been talking a lot. Let me like give feed me some of your I want like the unfiltered Ryan and Wally. Give me give me those opinions. I mean, Lay this on. was just a wonderful thrill ride. Like it did just feel like a big commercial for like Universal Studios comes come you know right the twister right like i mean i think it really works on that level and like but then they i mean i love monster films so like when <laughs> grand in our message chat was like this is a better monster film than the host i'm like that's bullshit that i watched the movie and i'm like you're right it's more of a conventional monster film like i i do enjoy it for that um 
Yeah, just, I love everyone acts well. I mean, like these are not likable characters <laughs> to me. I'm like, yeah, they are just horrible human beings. The only likable character is the yeah, fiance who gets booted to the side and the ant. You know, you want the ant to survive and, and her dog too. Um, yeah, I I don't feel this film ever tries to be more than just a fun action ride. There are some scenes like maybe towards the end where Joe sees like remnants of her past of like this family that looks like her family like growing up where you kind of get like oh yeah this is really horrible when these things actually hit but I don't think you see too much of the re repercussion of tornadoes hitting and having that impact of like this is really terrible this like no this is a fun action thrilling movie which is you know what it should be doesn't bog you down down too much on the reality of the situation yeah, frankly, like the conceit of having to throw a big metal thing into a tornado made no sense. Yeah, I was like, How this thing they... never just got sucked up. But also, <laughs> like those tiny balls would have absolutely gotten sucked up. Yeah, what the fuck? Three different times in this movie, and instead they just we laid on the, the ground. Right? Right? No, but it, oh, it, Pepsi, it had to get Pepsi it had to get sucked day. up into the center because if it was just on the edges, it just would have been blown around. But That's they why didn't they had to get anchor sucked it. up at all. <laughs> like. The tornado is 10 feet away from them and there's balls scattered all across the ground and none of them get sucked up into the tornado. Far-fetched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, well, from the beginning, I mean, this so movie is... Like, I, yeah, I love the product placement in this. Like when Bill Paxton like fucks up his car at the very beginning, we get like a 15-second shot of Penn's oil and the guy's like, oh, I'll get it done in five, 10 minutes. Thanks. And see... <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I, no, this was a really fun film to uh, rewatch. Like, I think I first watched this in, during my third grade class where we were learning about tornadoes. My <laughs> mom's like, you should watch Twister. And then you were, education. you were horribly terrified of just random farm implements and cars dropping out of the sky. Yes, and cows. In broad, in broad daylight, like, no less. <laughs> like, the storm is, the storms in this movie vanish so quickly like it is just like jaws like it's like boom. yeah it it's totally like it, it is a monster like storms turn to like attack people and everything and then they like disappear when once they've killed or like made enough destruction but they also tried to like ground it in the realism it's like oh bill is like he can read the winds he can read the signs he knows even if it's going to take a weird veer off that's like if somebody i guess he would be like the quint in Jaws, where he like <laughs> understands the shark in a way, and I'm uh, like, yeah. not as it's this it's, movie does do oh, very much the '90s like anti-corporate America instinct versus technology. You know, yeah, like these sure, yahoos know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the solution at the end, but truly, it's it's the guy who can understand what the storm is thinking. He's the one who's going to help save the day. But I, I and I, I hate to say he is going to help save the day because truly the hero of this film is Joe. She is the driving motivational force for um, Bill and all the other characters in it. The one who keeps pushing everyone forward, the one who is committed to getting the task done. Um, I think Joe of, of the movies we have on the list, Joe is one of the strongest female leads on any of the movies that we have in that she is. 
Um, she is independent. She she is uh, professionally motivated. She is uh, emotional, but um, you know it, it doesn't it doesn't in like try and strip away her feelings for the people around her in order to make her like hyper focused on the task. She can both be emotional about her past and hyper focused on solving this tornado. It's like actually a competently written female lead, which I like. I guess, but her motivation is so dumb. Her dad I, but dies because he's a fucking idiot. It's not. I yeah. Don't don't. Like, well, yeah, I agree with that, Grant. I also agree with your opinion. Why the fuck couldn't he just let the door? Why is he holding? Yeah, on to it makes door? no sense. The and then she has a vendetta smart. against tornadoes for the rest of her life. The dog was smart it's enough. It's fucking hilarious. But they left, they left the dog out I guess despite how stupid the setup is. Yeah. It. But. I guess you can't fight the dusty sex zone, man. Sometimes yeah. it's just gonna take you. But you she, gotta let you gotta ride, ride. You gotta ride, ride that door all the way to all the way to heaven. <laughs> but um, or way to heaven. No, just I like think Titanic. Wally, that's kind of a, a bastardization of her motives. She just wants she wants to make sure that it's something like that good. doesn't happen again to other people. She wants to make sure people don't lose. Like, yeah, it's actually a very heartwarming motive. The, but the movie doesn't lean into that too much though like that's where it would really bog it right down. at the end right at the end when you the the part that you said you didn't like where a, a surrogate for her father and her and his holding a, his daughter coming out safe after this insane tornado you yeah. get that you get that kind of resolution of her being able to do this is having a lasting effect on the safety of the people around her but, it bogs um, down the thrill ride. Let me see them run through another house again. <laughs> Give me another house. But, um, shoot. Fuck these emotions. Blow up another town. But her motives are crap. Fuck these emotions. <laughs> that is essentially no, what I just, uh, I don't know about you guys, but seeing, yeah, her father gets sucked up by the tornado. I can't help but laugh. I'm like, are you serious? Yes, absolutely absurd. There's plenty of absurd moments in this movie, though. The cow flies by not once but fucking twice. And then there's yeah. two okay, that from a young that age, I'm like, tornadoes parts. like are not. But there's <laughs> my perception too. when I was young, I was like, tornadoes do this. They suck up cows. <laughs> this movie All does the, the same thing A Knight's Tale does, where it plays its wackiness straight. It goes, it's fully earnest. Yeah. It doesn't matter how ridiculous the moment is. That's it's true. It's fucking committed. I'm not saying I hate it. Happens. Like, I love it for it, just, but, you know, yeah. I'm going to recognize it's stupid. It's just stuff. Moby Dick for tornadoes. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, it's, that's an excellent summary. It's so true. <laughs> no, that's, that's uh, an obvious summary. I mean, yeah. she's the Captain Ahab who goes a little kooky trying to solve this problem, but then in the end gets, well, granted, I think in Moby Dick, I actually haven't read Moby Dick, but I think a lot of the crew dies. Um, I think where, they, yeah, all die, don't they? Yeah, like some people starve to death, I think. Yeah. That was one thing. For this being an action movie, none of the good guys die. They're always hanging back. I'm like, you know, you could have had old Dusty get sucked up by the tornado. That would have been like a heart, you know, heart-wrenching moment. One of these characters we love gets sucked up by the tornado. I thought That Meg, would have been more impactful. I thought Aunt Meg, that like, heart-wrenching scene was so fucking stupid because like it's it's teasing that she is aware that something is coming by looking at her stupid wind meter things that she's made those things were cool and then does nothing (laughs) to help that she was still on like i think she fell into the basement in the end or 
Well, Ryan, it's because yeah, they have no way of tracking tornadoes. Even There's in 1996, no, she didn't they track the no... tornadoes. She's got those fucking wind things. She looks at it. There's like a distinct moment where she looks at it and it's like, oh, that wind's acting kind of funny. Okay, I'm just gonna go about business. I'm not gonna worry about how my dog almost gets killed. I did say she's just like my grandma in like a true crisis. The first thing she thinks of is, "You gotta help the dog." <laughs> <laughs> Help the dog. That dog, when he picks up that dog out of the, the house, like it looked like a stuffed animal. Like it was like caving in on itself. <laughs> yeah, it was, the legs were like flopping so loosely. I also loved that they said, Meg, we're going to keep you overnight. And then like an hour later, you think they're going to the hospital. No, she's just sitting in the ambulance. <laughs> like time, we don't, oh, time passes. Hospitals have been destroyed. Yeah, by I, guess, I guess they're keeping her overnight in the ambulance. And I thought that was pretty funny, but um, God, I the the last positive thing I'm gonna say about it uh, is the music in this movie is phenomenal. It, Who did the it, music it, for this? Is this what's that? Who did? Oh, sorry. Oh, oh no, it's the okay. The it, um, oh fuck. Normally I look at that stuff ahead of time. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't. Grant, you're actually... the music guy. I I'm sorry. I um uh I I do not know. I will Danny have to. Elfman. No, that's not true. Can I just say one of the funniest things? So I I think I said this on the podcast that my mom texted me and said we need to have Bill Paxton on the podcast. <laughs> Is, isn't Bill her, Paxton dead? Her full text. He is dead. Yeah. Bill Paxton doesn't have a Facebook because he died in 2017. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should laugh about that. Oh, hold on. Um, but but the the music, uh, it, it's it opens with very um, American Western adventure, uh, you know, all all strings and and military drums and you know, real like Fifle goes west sort yeah, of bullshit. Oh, oh boy! But that it brings a lot of energy to it up until you hit the the first tornado, and then each time the tornadoes come in, the, it's choral music. It's choirs. And then about three quarters of the way through the film, you hear about an F5 tornado being described as the finger of God, you know, just coming down and touching the earth. And the very last tornado, the one that they finally conquer, that they get their, their supplies in and that brings Joe that emotional catharsis from experiencing, um, it, they lean on that choir music one more time. But this time it comes in as reverent, almost holy, instead of like uh, mournful or like pre video game boss music. And so just the, the swing between the reverence for nature and the, uh, you know, American cowboy out in the middle of the Midwest trying to conquer it um, was, I, I think, really well executed, not just in the film, but in the score. Oh, Hans Zimmer. No oh. wonder it was Perfect. Yeah, no wonder it's a fucking banger. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, Grant, as you were talking about it, I kind of got vibes of. Do you guys know the story of how Pecos Bill like rode the tornado and that sort of stuff? Where it's like that. Could there potentially just it be that the reason this guy's name is Bill is he's Pecos Bill because he can he knows how to read these tornadoes. That's an interesting take. Yeah, and it, 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 like the start of it, like him standing out there, he grabs stupidly, might I add, grabs the dirt and slowly lets it sift through his hand to presumably see the um 
see where the wind is blowing and then in the background you see an american flag just flapping <laughs> it is yeah it is it is a little um a little counterintuitive what he is pulling from dropping the dirt besides that but um no i just you talking about that made me think i'm like oh what is that old folk tale of a dude riding a tornado and it's pecos bill um, yeah, that that never I have in all my watches I've never put that together. That's an excellent call out. Yeah, that's I mean it maybe it's a little too far fetched, but it would be an interesting thing if they're just like, yeah, that's that's actually kind of maybe not maybe just why we named it Bill is because of Pecos Bill wrote it, but not necessarily the story, but it is kind of related to the story. Yeah, well and it ends with them riding the tornado. I mean, Bill and Joe fucking oh. like they get they lift off the ground like they're yes. riding the tornado yeah i love the how they explain that like they gave the enough first... like go ahead Ryan. no go ahead wally i'm just, <laughs> I'm just gonna bitch uh, yeah i feel they gave i feel a movie nowadays wouldn't have like given at least an explanation of like these pipes are 30 feet deep i'm like okay that's enough for me like by the end of this this did kind of feel like a fast and furious but still less dumb still <laughs> less absurd even by that parameter i mean they were dot like they were like hand of god almost like same level as con air when the propeller like separates them it was getting a little <laughs> con air around, yeah, dodging the around the pieces of wood like there was no seemingly no repercussions to being anywhere near a tornado in this movie besides just getting pulled a little bit um the the characters did not react when they were running away from the tornado as like the fence stakes were getting ripped off the ground and like the horses are freaking out they're just still just running like it's just right behind them they're just running they're like no this is fine and then you see it finally when they get into the uh get into the barn where stuff hit it starts hitting the wall but nothing ever touches them which is the plot armor is thick yeah mm -hmm. i love that in the same movie there is a we've come up with a dusty what is it uh sorry the dusty suck zone and the finger of god i mean two Ooh, delicious two of my <laughs> favorite things to do on a friday night um no but grant <laughs> also um you you kind of you give me very much bill paxton vibes i don't know oh, why yeah but specifically Thank in this you? movie, well, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's it's part of the reason why you married your lovely wife is maybe she she saw what I saw. But for some reason, there was something about this movie and him in it that it's like, God, he, for some reason, he just gives gives me Grant vibes, and he All gives right. me Grant vibes, not you giving me him vibes. No, it's okay. I'll I'll take Bill Paxton vibes, sure. Yeah. So just <laughs> it goes Grant. Yeah, Pecos Grant riding that tornado. But uh no, I mean that's that's a that's a big chunk of my notes. Oh yeah, the animal people didn't give a fuck about animals in this movie. I mean, yeah, cats flying, it's 96. Cats yeah, flying pigs flying, those horses just got boned. Um Yeah, I <laughs> Yeah, the cow was the only thing I remembered about this movie when I was a kid. I was like, it's the movie with the cow. <laughs> that was it. That's all this movie was about. It was just yeah. the cow. It, this movie is where, um, you know, the uh, 12 Angry Men is a movie that demands that you pay attention and think and, <laughs> and consider what is happening on screen. Um, this movie is very much a 
shut off your brain sort of movie you know mm-hmm. it's an action flick if you give it even the brain smallest the consideration it's gonna fall apart like i, yeah. I wholly admit it this this is not a movie that will withstand critical review it doesn't have any huge themes other than like man versus nature and instinct versus technology um and even those are only surface level scratched at but it's fun it yeah. does yeah it does that so well i'm just like thinking of disaster movies now where it's like everything would be cg just the fe- like the special effects in this totally hold up like super well like it's just fun for that like it it does make you feel like you're on a thrill ride yes i do and have Ryan, one... do you want to tell us how you watch this movie it sounds like you wow. watched it in the perfect okay perfect way. so um first i do i do have like a weird question why did the does anybody did anybody look into why they built their storm cellars so far away from their houses like i get it the potential for like the house collapsing on top of it but like in that opening scene they had to run so far to get to this thing and it's like if 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 storms if storms well they left the dog that was my big thing <laughs> is that the dog was like you know what man i could figure it out myself whatever i don't need you but <laughs> i'm like i'm like why why are why is it so far away if it's something you can't you can't predict and you know it's going to be on you very quickly it's like get it a little yeah i thought the dad was going to get sucked up saving the dog that would have made more sense he dies a hero no (laughs) it's a fucking idiot he's gonna keep (laughs) hammering that home well you know who made that change originally joe's dad wasn't gonna die in the film steven spielberg said he had to die because uh, yeah, otherwise I, there wasn't enough it, Steve. He, he was executive producer it was true he's right <laughs> yes yeah he is absolutely Shouldn't right have had a the way death. they do it is fucking ridiculous <laughs> i 100 agree he like what what is the kite sailing where he just <laughs> hangs on and yeah straight off into the tornado it, it, that was that was the point where like the the mix of cgi and practical effects just did not work because he was that, yeah but that pull away was totally practical that's what I mean. As, is that but the oh, CGI God. in the back of him like going off into the storm? Yeah, it was just like very clear. He's just like I think they did it where it's like almost like he was he's just laying on the board and they kind of put him on a blue. No, they they mm. strap him to the board, so he is attached to the board by a belt at the waist. This was also in the making of uh, things at the end, and then they have that on a crane, and okay. so the crane just lifts the door up, and since he's nice. attached to the door. He pulls away with it. If if they would have done so like strings rather than a crane, like you could tell there was rigidity to that door that there should not have been <laughs> uh, in a tornado. Um, so may, maybe funny. they should have gone with some heavy duty like wiring and just kind of done that. But um, no, I actually watched both of these movies. Uh, I just bought a VR headset because I'm Ooh. one of those people, and um. I, I watched both of these in VR and so it kind of had a similar like movie theater experience like you go into this app and it it puts you in a theater and there's like cup holders next to you all in VR. Which That's badass man. A virtual cup holder sounds like the most dangerous thing. I would fuck that up <laughs> so many times try and put my glass in a virtual cup holder and just drop it all over the floor. Oh yeah it was totally bad. <laughs> I, was, I was at a conference and I was just sitting in my bed at this hotel and I'm like oh look I'm in a movie theater watching these movies. But I'm really just sitting in my bed at this conference at this hotel. Oh, sure. That's what you were watching on VR in your hotel room. I call bullshit. That may have been the start, but He's that's not the way you're not finished. Zone. You know how thin the walls are at these hotels? It's not, 
that that is not a risk I can handle. You can't be quiet, Quinn. Are you I telling watch... us you can't you can't hold your mouth closed even for what you right, maybe you forty five seconds you need if the I had to full guess? Immersive experience. Jesus, fuck you, Grant. <laughs> you need the... I, I thought you were gonna let that one go by for a second. Oh, nope. You need the full seconds. immersive experience of like hey, it's yeah, it's that immersive. Yeah, the the headphones. You can't. I don't. I don't want to know what my sounds. What sounds I'm making <laughs> uh, in that instance. Um, Puts no, the but, dusty suck zone to shame me. <laughs> yeah, you do. Do you know what a dusty suck zone sounds like, Grant? It is not pleasant. <laughs> it is not good, and that's all I could do during this movie. But um, no, yeah. So I, I, I really liked that because granted it wasn't a movie theater there was distinct differences obviously but it it is a good interesting you know way like i guess it's almost like an homage to a movie theater sure um do you, but do you it, think there's any any technology that we could put out that would rival a movie theater or is a theater truly a uh, mm. uh a, an experience you can't recreate no i th- I think I think you can't recreate a movie theater. I don't like I think there's an atmosphere to that, especially with when you're with people. Like that's the crappy part of the VR is that like you're literally in just an empty movie theater. Like you can turn around and look at the seats behind you and it's all just empty. Like it's really just supposed to give you the feel of, oh, I'm going to the movies. But it doesn't recreate a full movie theater mm. when you're watching a, a really impactful movie and everybody's getting excited. You feel that anticipation in the audience getting ready for this movie or even just like the snacks and the popcorn. I think, you know, that's something we've talked about a lot on, on this podcast and our previous iteration of the podcast is um, snacks do make a movie sometimes. um, And a VR just, I don't think VR can replicate that. I know. Yeah. It'd be interesting if they could do like a chat room where you see who's streaming a movie and you all go into like one chat room. Or just just you have your own avatars because you shouldn't be talking during a movie. <laughs> oh, I, please. <laughs> you shouldn't be talking. Ends the, the on the movie. Um, you the should, room. That would be fun. Be, <laughs> yeah. But you should be reacting to a movie in certain ways, but you shouldn't be talking during a movie. So, like, if you could get to a point where it's like a VR chat situation where you do have, you know, you know, possibly avatars or physical representations of yourself and all of the seats are filled, granted, then you have the issue of, somebody has a bad seat because a big part about the VR experience is you you are in the perfect seat you're halfway up you're right smack dab in the middle and you can see everything that would well, be the funny beauty of vr yeah. is everyone can have that seat it doesn't matter but, where your seat yeah. is positioned but then everybody's sitting on top of each other and then you can't have that movie th- I, I feel like part of the movie theater experience is maybe not getting the best seat but still enjoying it or like that'd be kind of cool i don't know why that sounds cool but there's some there's some dynamic yeah would it be funny if in vr you're like god i didn't buy my tickets quick enough i'm like in the very back on the far left god damn it and then you have to like um, virtually some big guy out. in the way just keeps marching <laughs> well, on ryan when you say i didn't buy my ticket now that makes it sound to me like this could actually be a thing i could see yeah. movie theaters as the next step you know like they've tried streaming services mm-hmm. as a next step to bring revenue to theaters and stuff is you know rather than stream it join us on our vr app where in and, and you buy a ticket just like you would a regular movie theater that 
it well, didn't and, sound practical to me until you said that as bad as that is but i well, could and, see that coming and in now, at some point and now i think amc like you can order their popcorn and have it delivered to you not not everywhere but i i heard in new york i think it's amc basically said we will bring you a fresh bin or thing of popcorn um to your house you can have it delivered um because during the pan yeah, no, during the luckily <laughs> no, we don't live in metropolitan areas but during the pandemic when those movie theaters weren't open a lot of people are like you know we're watching movies all the time but i want the popcorn yeah movie so, theater popcorn is my favorite food uh, on earth i would give you a dusty so suck zone I'm, for a big bucket of <laughs> I, amen, bro. right now man yeah i it's not my number one favorite but it's probably a close second um but yes. So um, without further ado, I know we, we, we are cr- coming up on our time limit. Um, is there any uh, final arguments for, I guess, either movie or even just a final like thing people would like to say about Twister? Um, and then maybe we will go to, uh, to our vote. Yeah, I loved rewatching Twister. Like I said, it's just a fun thrill ride. These movies could not be more different. They, <laughs> you know, they activate two very different things in my brain. Um, one's just like yay things blowing up yay just really interesting conversation you know so <laughs> it it's kind of yeah you know pick your poison kind of situation with with these two um but yeah are we ready to vote or do we got anything else to say i think we're ready to vote does anybody want to go first i guess yeah since i started talking okay so I was going back and forth on this. Twister does have a lot of things that fit into my movie interest. It's a kaiju film. That is straight up facts. The tornadoes are elementals in this. That's amazing. It's a 90s movie. It's got Bill Paxton. Just great special effects, everything. You know, I should love. Um, and just Grant made a very good point at the beginning of like, 12 Angry Men is an amazing movie. It's a movie that you should see. It's a movie that will make you think. But for, for me, like, I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, it, it is, I do want to pick something that I'm entertained by more. And I went into Twister. I'm like, this is going to be stupid, you know. And I had a freaking blast watching Twister. I had a blast watching 12 Angry Men too, but I knew I was going to like that. I was genuinely surprised by my reaction by Twister, so going with twister all right um grant do you want to go i feel like you're uh no no all you ryan okay um no i i'm pretty i'm pretty conflicted uh i was kind of looking back at the other movies we've done um i feel like you know they're not completely analogous but um kind of that action adventure sort of exciting you know you get the really good musical score um thing to it i kind of can in a way compare it to indiana jones and god dang does twister nail it in so many ways that indiana jones doesn't but at the end of the day i guess my thinking on this is will i ever rewatch 12 angry men Probably not unless I'm trying to show it to somebody else so that they can enjoy it. I will recommend it to people, absolutely. But I don't really feel compelled to watch this, watch 12 Angry Men again. I think I, I pulled a lot from it in the first watch. Um, I I think it might be hard for me almost to pull more from it on the second watch. Watch, you might get 
little intonations that you might have missed but overall i i don't think i'll pull much from it and i think twister uh <laughs> i love how both of you guys start laughing about it and maybe it will just be in a very specific context of i want to watch twister with you guys in person grant with your <laughs> lovely wife um and anybody else in her family that might really love this movie but I don't I don't know if there's anybody in my friend group or in my family that I'm like, yeah, we need to watch 12 Angry Men. I feel like if I say that, it will be like, I want you to learn. Like it's like I want you to <laughs> yeah. this, I want you to understand yeah. this moral because I, I liked it because I understood it. So I am also going to vote Twister. <laughs> so so Casey uh, uh, threatened her, my wife threatened me pretty specifically with if I didn't choose Twister, she would withhold sex. But uh, jokes on her, we're about to have a baby and you can't Woo! have sex for six weeks after having a baby anyways. So, ha, I can do what I want. Um, I, <laughs> Wally's eyebrows went. Um, Say that a little louder. Maybe she'll hear you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I think I need to proceed this the same thing i said at the start of the podcast if there is one movie on our bracket that you want to watch along with um 12 angry men is is going to be the one i you know whether or not it's the best film of all time i think it is certainly the most significant um and and one that uh, especially for our american audience i can't speak to our international audience um but one that i i think should be an important cultural touchstone for just being a good citizen and and seeing a practical application of um the 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 proper use of our justice system um it is masterfully filmed incredibly well done um but when it comes down to it ryan i reached the same conclusion i don't know that i would watch it again unless it's to show someone else it um whereas twister like i said i've seen it a dozen times and I enjoyed it on this 12th watch just as much as I had the first or second. Um, you know, I don't know that that's, you know, enjoyed it spectacularly, but I enjoyed it the same amount. Um, and I, I think it's a movie that, that, you know, stands on its own and that many would have wide audience appeal. Maybe not during this time of year with uh, particular current events going on, um, which is something that, uh, you know, we sort of avoided um discussing it uh, but ultimately uh yeah i think i gotta go with twister too yeah i thank you for mentioning that because I, I did want to say something just slightly it's just like you know it, it it is it is a little uncomfortable having to talk about this movie with what just happened you know in in the midwest and and towards the south of us here um but yeah i i feel I don't know. I unfortunately it just happened to coincide, but you know, we're <laughs> I guess we are thinking about you guys, you know, thoughts and prayers for those people and um and uh for show the more direct for more direct action if you are looking to uh help donate to the the Kentucky Disaster Fund, uh you can go to www.redcross.org um and help donate to their uh disaster relief fund there to contribute to the people who have been impacted by uh, the the tornadoes in the Midwest. Uh, I know uh, the podcast will be donating $100 to that d disaster relief fund. Um, it, not much, but it's what we can offer. And uh, we hope our listeners are willing to do the same. 
and also check like crowdfunding stuff just in case uh, you know I, I i don't want anybody to think you know the red cross is is a bad organization or anything like that but you know if if there's something if you feel like donating to an organization like that you you feel less satisfaction than donating to um the families there there's a lot of crowdfunding um things that are specific to individual families and stuff like that so also check those out if you want if you want to you know i guess put a face to the money rather than giving it to an organization that will in turn put the face to the money um a weird way of saying that but yeah so grant that's very nice we did not talk about this before so um yeah just yeah. well put i'll say that <laughs> I'll, I'll see if i can find some money maybe we, maybe we don't can worry come, about it maybe we can throw some more in there so, so. okay All well right. um i the good podcast guys high fives oh nice yeah. how do we how do we do that over over zoom that's crazy um <laughs> oh wally had some lag it delayed like. yeah <laughs> but um yeah wally what do we say at the end of each podcast all right cup the ball swallow the gravy this is dusty suck zone folks signing out <laughs> <laughs>